Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Modern Mind, the podcast that simply aims to explore the minds that inspire modern society by provoking thought and inspiring change. I'm your host, Fergus Crawley, and welcome to today's episode. Our guest today is, in my opinion, the world's most decorated athletic adventurer. He has done it all. He was the first person to swim from Land's End to John O'Groats. He then decided to cycle it. He then decided to run it. He then decided to piece it all together into the UK's longest triathlon. He's cycled across Europe. He's cycled around the world. He's done a variety of weird and wonderful charity challenges like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro dressed as a penguin. And along the way, he's explored some recovery protocols that might be a little bit unconventional alongside drinking Guinness until five in the morning with a member of Dirty Sanchez. So if you'd like to learn how to implement a recovery protocol such as that one into your day-to-day training and athletic endeavours, then do make sure to stick around and do also make sure to please hit follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Make sure to share this episode or an episode previously with a friend. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do write a review as well. It really does help the show out and allows us to reach more new exciting guests. And if you want to check us out on YouTube and social media as well, that would be very nice. Before we get into the episode, it is important to mention the show's sponsors, as without them, there would be no show. First up, we have Vivo Barefoot, who are the world's leading barefoot shoe manufacturer, and I have been religiously using for just over three years at this point. I'm in them 90% of the time, day to day, other than when I'm at a more formal occasion or wearing some dress sneakers to go with a certain outfit, going out for dinner, whatever it might be. But in and out of the office, in and around the house, walking the dogs, in and out of the gym, I'm, I'm in a pair of Vivos, plain and simple. I love them. Wide toe box, thin and flexible, means that I can connect with the ground, build my foot strength, build up my ankle joint. And interestingly, in 2021, a study came out of Liverpool University that shows that if you wear Vivos for six months, you can improve your foot strength by up to 60%. So my recommendation would be to get a pair to apply to a specific task day to day, get a feel for the brand. If you like the feeling of barefoot shoes, you like the proprioception, you like the wider toe box, you like the feeling of being more connected to the ground that comes with them, then you can explore some more options, but you won't know unless you try. And you can try by saving yourself 10% off with the code FergusVivo at checkout. And do please let me know how you get on over social media. Next up, we have Man Cave, who are without a doubt the UK's most exciting men's grooming business, as they are 100% natural, 100% recyclable, 100% cruelty-free, and 100% vegan without any compromising on performance. And they have a huge range of performance-focused products for you to choose from. Everything from weird and wonderful smelling shower gels to shampoo, conditioner, to anti-fatigue eye gel, and everything in between. Your bathroom is covered with Man Cave, and mine has been for well over a year now, and I thoroughly enjoy the products. I feel great, I smell great, and dare I say it, sometimes I look great, and that's a a nice feeling at the end of the day. So if you'd like to give Man Cave products a go, please use the code FERGUS40 at checkout to save yourself 40% off, which is an enormous amount of money to save, so do act fast. And please check them out on social media as well as Strava, where they have a thriving community that you can get involved with. So without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Sean, how are things? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm here in North Wales, uh, awaiting a snowstorm, apparently. I believe I'm the same in uh, mm. in Scotland, although blue skies now, snowstorm incoming. Yeah. Could be summer tomorrow, <laughs> knowing how we go at this time <laughs> of the season. But what's harder to get through? All of the crazy endurance challenges you've done or maintaining your beard? <laughs> <laughs> maintaining the beard's easy. Actually, that's the only reason I have a beard because it's literally zero admin. <laughs> you know how many people ask me, oh, wow, what beard oils do you use? Or what's your group? I'm like, 
I have dog clippers, which I use to trim it, and I cut my own hair as well. Um, so that happens every now and then. It's probably due a trim at the minute. Um, and that's about it. I don't comb it, as you can tell. Yeah, I'm very lazy. It's, it's half the reason I have a beard. It's, uh, it's had its practical uses over the year as well, hasn't it? It's a jellyfish swatter. It's jellyfish a warmth protection, provider. Protection, warmth provider, snack hideaways. There's a, clo- a little um, uh, walk-in wardrobe in there. <laughs> Someone put an Argos pencil in my beard once without me knowing. <laughs> well, now you know. An Argos pencil fits in your beard. The, the age-old question has been answered. But There we have it. You, you've got... You've got four passports, which is fairly unique in this I day do. and age, and you've traveled the world in a way that most people never will get the opportunity to do so. So which country has stood out to you the most and why? Oh, man, it's, that's like choosing your favorite child. Um, I like deserts. I love deserts. So like Peru, um, you know, going through the Atacama, that was a special place. Namibia. I love sort of traveling around the deserts of Namibia. And I did that with my mum when I was like 16, you know, like you would think that'd be the worst holiday. My mum's like, we're going, I'm going to Namibia. You're coming with. And I was like, oh, mum. But actually it was amazing. And um, yeah, so that's for landscape. I think people, Tibet, I really sort of just was captivated by the culture in Tibet uh, and the people. Um, And then... Yes. Well, what else? I mean, food, India. I love India. Actually, India's. I think India's the country I've been to the most outside of Europe. Um, yeah. So it's hard. I mean, I sort of. If you ask me this tomorrow, it'll be three different, three other countries. You know, so I sort of. I love them all, really. You know, and everyone. I sort of. I'm quite naturally inquisitive, so wherever I go, I'm really. I really want to know everything about everything, really. So. And I, I get a lot from that. Do you think that comes from growing up in a variety of places, backgrounds, cultures? It's given you a bit of a more refined understanding of the nuance of people, of culture, that makes you more explorative. Because I think so many people in the UK, where, where we both live, find themselves comfortable within the boundaries of the island, as there's a variety that's self-contained within it. The multiculturalism of London versus the lack of multiculturalism in North Wales, for example. Is, is a different way of looking at things, but you've experienced and lived in cultures all over the world. So do you think that inherently makes you a little bit more inquisitive than it might do others? Yeah, it might do. I mean, I, I grew up in an, in an area of South Africa. So I was born in Zimbabwe, but we moved to South Africa when I was young. And I grew up in an area called Zululand. So we were really in embedded in the Zulu culture and in their tribe. The Zulu tribe is one of the biggest tribes in in Africa, it's got. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make up some figures here, but it's got. I think it's got over two million um, people in the tribe, and they got a king. And you know, I speak Zulu, uh, and I spoke it from a very young age. I've sort of lost a lot of the vocabulary now, but I guess you know, being immersed in in a in a culture that was so different to mine, and really enjoying it. You know, I loved speaking Zulu and learning the language and wearing you know my 10th birthday party was a zulu party and we all wear wore the um the animal skin skirts and you know everything you see i guess you guys would have seen it on tv but we we saw it as if it was normal for us you know growing up my sister and i and um yeah i guess maybe that was the fuel for it you know understanding that there are more than one way 
to live a life. You know, the Zulus, you can have a hundred wives if you want. You know, that's so different to where we live now and how we live. Um, and I guess, yeah, maybe that's certainly, you know, piqued my interest. But it, 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 weirdly, I'm definitely more inquisitive the more different a culture is. Sort of, if it's quite close to, you know, when, when I go to France, I'm sort of, I'm inquisitive about the food and things like that. And, um, but really, if I, you know, my wife and I spent, we did cycle toured around Cuba for our honeymoon and, uh, you know, places like that. And then I'm, I go all in, you know, I go all in to find out everything about everything, the history, what happened to it, the food, the people, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I just have to, I think it, it scratches that little, that monkey in me who's just wants to try loads of different things all the time. I've heard you say this before, that there is a monkey and a terrier contained yeah. within. Do you want yeah. to just explain what you mean by that and how it manifests day to day for you? Yeah, so I knew, probably it was about 10 years ago, I knew I was not different, but I knew there were certain things in me that made me click. And, and it was a little bit, I found I was getting like frustrated when some things weren't happening in life. And I just didn't really know what it was. And eventually I sort of decided to really try and think about it. And I was like, right, why why are you frustrated right now, Sean? You've been frustrated for like three or four months. Like, why? And then I sort of sort of looked back and realized I I I I need to have something to chase in life. And it can be anything really. For me, it the the most beneficial aspect of something to chase is trying to do these world records. But it can be a hobby, learning woodworking and fixing a classic car or whatever, you know, like as if there's, I've got a project and it involves me to focus all my energy in it and go for it. And there's an end goal of, you know, fixing the car or cycling across Europe. I, I need that bit, but I can't do that forever because then I get burnout. And I, I definitely got burnout in my last sort of life as a photographer because that's all I did was chase, chase, chase. So on the flip side, to counterbalance the terrier who just chases things, I I used to fight this concept of trying loads of different things. And I remember, and it, it, sort of a lot of people say it bad. Oh, you know, my when I grew up, my dad was like, you know, you have like a million hobbies, and you know, they only last a couple of weeks. And I, I sort of thought that was a bad thing. So for ages, I was fighting this inherent urge in me to try loads of different things, thinking, oh, that's a bad thing. And it wasn't just dad, like everyone was just like, sure, you were into motorbikes last week. And I, you know, bought 10 motorbike magazines and cut out the picture and stuck them all over my wall. And then a month later, they came down and something else went back up, you know. Um, but it turns out, actually, that's quite good for me. I have to try loads of different stuff. And it's good for my my mental health. And I, I love it. You know, I try everything, whatever, whether it's food, hobbies, learning new things, whatever it is, you know, I exploring new trails around where I live. I've just got to try. I have to experience things I've not experienced before in life. And that's, that's the monkey in me trying to, you know, I'm inquisitive. I like to break things, fix things, do things with my hands. But if I don't chase something every now and then, then the monkey gets really agitated. So I, I sort of worked that out a couple of years ago. I have these two sort of animals within me that I have to feed. And then it's weird, like once I'd worked that out, and and I hate putting names and labels and things, but for me, it just became, right, well, I've got this character, and I'm going to call it a monkey, because why not? And I've got this other character, I'm going to call it a terrier, because why not? Um, and as long as I keep them both fed, 
life is good. Life is very, very good, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, that's kind of how I came up with that, really. The variety you've explored there in your younger years and the fact that you've not been, what, what could be labelled as almost flitty between different things is, is, is in my mind, not that. It's, it's exploration, but you've done it at an accelerated rate. You've put it in two times listening speed, as it were, and just gone through all the things. And all that is is trial and error to explore what's truly valuable to you. And it sounds like what's truly valuable to you is actually the exploration of new things. And I love that you reflected that in your athletic career and your endurance career. And I know that being a photographer was a massive passion for you. But you mentioned there that you got caught in the metric chasing that came with it. Do you think the financial incentive and the commercial incentive of photography ruined photography for you? Um, undoubtedly, yes. However, you know, it's, it's flippant to say now, you know, looking back, you know, I, cho- I, I did chase the money, but then I sort of had to in a way. And I, I've, I've reevaluated what happened to me then. And, you know, if, if I clicked my finger and could change something, yes, I would not chase the money as much. But then I may have landed up on the street. I don't know, you know, because I was a young photographer. I came to Britain with 100 quid in my wallet, landed up in a salad making factory in Ely in Cambridgeshire, you know, making all those pre-mixed salads in, a, in a, basically a row of, of people just cutting up lettuces that would eventually go in the machine, which would go into the, the plastic bag for salads, right? And, um, you know, every day was hand to mouth, you know, for, so from the age of 20 till about 25? I was working in a photo lab part-time, earning like 700 quid a month, you know, living in London, you know, so like most of that went to rent. Some of it went to food. Um, it you doesn't know, so, go far. No, it doesn't go far. So, you know, yes, it's easy for me now to say, because, you know, oh yeah, chase, chase your dream and, and the money will follow. Yes, but it's not that easy sometimes. It's not just a black and white. What I wish I had done is just being a little bit more strict with how much money I made from the stuff I didn't enjoy. Because everyone needs to do stuff to put food on the table, you know, food, shelter, warmth, right? And that costs money. Like, we're just in that world. So unless you, you know, manage to inherit some land and you want to go and live in the middle of nowhere and and forage and have your own thing, which is great. I wish I could do that for my family, my kids, but I don't have land and I don't have the skill, probably. Um, But... You know, there was a line where, you know, maybe I needed 10 grand a year to survive in London. Maybe I should have earned my 10 grand doing the stuff I didn't enjoy, which would have freed up all the other time. But then you just get greedy. You know, then you're like, oh, well, it was quite easy to earn, you know, that grand. Because at the time, I was photographing school kids at nursery school. And, you know, if I photographed 100 kids on a day, I'd probably make two grand. Whereas if I went and photographed a cool editorial for a magazine, um, it would be 50 quid, 100 quid, you know, and the 22-year-old the in me was like, well, not doing that. I'll do that there's later. A very obvious, there's a very obvious yeah. choice there, isn't there? Yeah, you know, so it was, what I should have done is just earned enough to survive in London because it was expensive. Um, and then done the, you know, which, and then gone off and done the creative stuff. But I, I didn't. So I think that was my biggest thing. You know, you need to chase some money, which is, you know, not a not a sexy or popular 
philosophy, but you've got to put food on. There's nothing. You know, there's sort of a, there's taking care of your base needs. You know, once if if you feel those are taken care of, all of a sudden you you get more creative and you feel like you can do other stuff. Had I not taken care of those base needs, I probably wouldn't have been creative enough to do a good job for the magazines and and that sort of thing. So there was a little bit of a balance there. Um, but certainly, you, you're right. I, I, I sort of took it too far on the money side of things to, to thinking if I earned more money, it would buy me some time. But it, it's the complete opposite happens, of course. You know. Do you ever pick up the camera now just for the <laughs> joy of it? Um, I'm getting into video filmmaking, sort of. I, you know, I have a little YouTube with three, three subscribers probably. Um, and I, I do quite enjoy that side of things. Uh, but stills, no, nothing on the stills department, really. I just don't know. Every time I think of trying to do stills, other than just stuff with my phone, I sort of get this like panic attack of like, oh, no, this is where it's going to all go wrong. Um, so, no, I've, I've never really considered getting back into the stills side of things. I wonder if the passion that you had for photography as as the young man that you just re- referenced with the the thought processes that you've you've mentioned there i wonder if that passion was translated directly into your endurance challenges and your athletic pursuits and therefore the the itch that you were scratching with the photography and the freedom and the doing things in your own terms and looking at things in this financial way and being able to to photograph others and bring their stories to life however you want to dress it up I wonder if that is the same mechanism that you've explored through that exploration of endurance and athleticism over the years. So how did you transition from that young man in London trying to make it as a photographer to the endurance athlete? That I'd argue the most varied and eclectic endurance athlete the world has ever seen. Your, your CV is phenomenal, but it's also so creative, which I love. It's not It's not ego, ego, ego. Look at what I've done. It's look at how I've brought this story to life. Look at this this country I've explored, look at this new way I've done something. And that's what I find most valuable about adventures like yours is is the story they tell, the journey they bring to life rather than the pure athletic pursuit because I find the pure athletic pursuit, there's probably always going to be someone faster. There's probably always going to be somebody that can get more tech and do it in a different way. But being the first mover or bringing the story to life so somebody can feel like they were there with you is where the art truly is. And that's what I think you've done better than anyone on the planet, in my personal opinion. So before we dive into what all that looked like, how did you go from that young man in London to essentially the bloke you are today? Well, it was gradual, you know. Um, I mean, the, 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 the transition, actual transition was hated photography realized I couldn't do it anymore so sold my business to my business partner for a quid um and that was sort of my sort of you, me. you have the you have the quid do, frame it's actually behind home, me yeah, as well. yeah you can see it oh, on is it there? there yeah there it is <laughs> for anyone for anyone yeah. that's just listening this is an incentive to uh yeah. to go and subscribe to the youtube channel so yeah, please, please everyone go and do that and, and sean's whilst you're at it as well <laughs> as you've just dropped something about a run across iceland haven't you yes yeah yeah i ran across iceland a couple of years ago and um took me a while to edit that one <laughs> but um yeah so where were we so so practically i was in this this you know i was living in london very expensive i didn't save any money doing the doing the photography nothing at all zero um <clears throat> because i was sort of hand to mouth and the photography was doing well but 
James and I were growing the business, so we took out some big loans to pay for staff and offices and equipment and blah, 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 blah. Um, so when I sold the business for a pound, which for me was A, to keep our friendship. James and I, he's like my best mate. He was the best man at my wedding, you know, years after we finished the photography. I didn't want to ruin that for the sake of money. And then also, I was sort of putting a flag in the ground going, right, from now on, I'm not doing anything purely for money which again was very idealistic and you know it goes exactly against what I've just said earlier because you do need to you know sort of put food on the table um but what it did is it just engaged the terrier it just said right terrier go and get some food <laughs> so in in my head I was like right well I want to go traveling because I that was the dream with photography just to use the camera to go traveling um what else can I do in that in that world um and I just thought, well, I could maybe try and do some magazine stuff, but you know, no one's really probably going to pay me to go traveling the world for a whole year to do features because without a, without a portfolio. Um, uh, I could go and work abroad, but that sort of didn't really scratch an itch that I had. I didn't know what the itch was, to be honest. Um, I knew that I just was miserable getting out of bed every day. And I, I just wanted, I think that was probably it. That was probably the sort of thing I wanted. I wanted something to chase, which would get me excited. So then I was, I just sort of thought about it. I thought about Mark Beaumont who had done his round the world bike ride years before. Um, and that immediately I just went down a rabbit hole of, of people who've done world records, whether it's you know climbing Everest or rowing oceans or cycling. And they all seem to have sort of sponsored logos on them. And I suddenly thought, well, you know, they've just had a crazy idea and they've managed to go and get some funding from people. Um, Maybe that's what I could do. You know, maybe I could just follow that sort of idea loosely. And, um, you know, so I, I sort of had, well, I don't know. I mean, I remember, I think it was I had like a, I could survive in London for three months maybe after I sold the business with, you know, what was in the bank and some credit cards and things like that. So I really was sort of quite stressed to make something happen. Otherwise, I'd, I mean, my fallback, luckily, you know, I had a fallback, which was going to live with my mum in a one bedroom flat in Cheltenham. So I did have that at least. So I wasn't going to land up on the street. Um, so, so yeah, that I sort of just got into trying to do something in the world of sort of adventure and sport and records because it was a way for to do something in the world of travel and get someone else to pay for it basically. So that got me into the round the world bike ride. That was the first thing I tried because I figured I could do it quite cheaply. It wasn't going to be that expensive to do um, in the grand scheme of lots of the other things like Everest and South Pole and all that, or rowing an ocean. Um, and I just went out and just tried to get funding, basically. And then, you know, managed to get the funding and do that. And that didn't, you know, I got run over in America, but still, and I, I carried on for charity. But when I got back, I sort of had stumbled across a way of living a new life, really, even though I didn't know it at the time. When I got back from the round world cycle, I tried to get back into work. <laughs> I I had no money. I signed on to the dole. I was on the dole living with my mum in a one-bedroom flat at the age of 31, um, going to the job centre every couple of weeks, uh, applying for jobs in bike shops and photographic studios because obviously I needed to earn something. Um, but I just, I have, I you know, I have no A-levels, didn't go to university. So I was sort of, I wouldn't say unemployable, but my, I didn't really have a CV at all, you know. 
So, um, yeah, tried that for a while. That didn't work. So, that's so what... round one was <clears throat> Land's End, Johnny Gropes on a bike, wasn't it? The length of Britain, cycling the length of Britain. As a holiday, and, and yeah. Just... yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that one... That a holiday, one... I can imagine, with some lessons along the way in making this up as you go as you go along. Building the wings as you fly, as I like to say. So yes, what, were yeah. the, what, what were the harshest lessons from that, that first solo endeavour? And are there any lessons that you took from that that are now something that you consider every time you take on a challenge, an event, or even day-to-day life? Um, well, yeah, the lessons I learned from the Lands End John Groats first attempt was don't do it that way. So everything I did on there is how not to do it, basically. Don't, don't do it in April. It's freezing cold. Don't carry five panniers, you know. But I had to back then. It was pre-smartphone. So I had, had a, you know, a Lonely Planet book of Britain, which is huge. It's bigger than the, the one for India. It's massive. It's amazing as well. You know, I had a map guide book. I had a camping guide book. I had an actual book, Wilbur Smith. Um, read a couple of his books. Um so, you know, one pannier was just full of paper and then another one was full of cameras. And then the other one, I'd like casual shoes as well, even though I could completely walk in my cycling shoes because they were they were sort of mountain bike ones with full tread. So I, I didn't even wear my casual shoes. I took a pair of jeans. Like, what were you thinking, man? Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, I learned to streamline. So after that trip, it was, you know, I had so much, I had too much kit, basically. Um, but, you know, it was quite. I found it quite easy. I think that was, you know, because I'd already I'd done the Lands End John Groke cycle in twenty five days, which is painfully slow. Um, but I sort of found it easy. I enjoyed cycling and I enjoyed going uphill, um, which even is something I enjoy now. I really like uphills. I'm not a big fan of downhills uh, in any any sport really. So it's um, yeah, I guess. It, I got the bug a little bit, but strangely, so I got so I did that in two thousand and eight, and I remember getting back from Lands End John Groats, and I cleaned my bike, and put it in the shed, and I was like, right, this is this is the beginning of I'm gonna go adventures every weekend. I'm gonna start or Dax riding. Every, I mean, I was in, I was hooked. Um, unfortunately, I didn't pick up my bike again for like two years or something because then I just I just got sucked back into trying to put food on the table, you know. Um, so yeah, it 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 left a mark on me, but it took something even more drastic for me to act on it. I think. You know? And how did that experience and that two year recovery period or or reflection period then spiral into doing a four thousand two hundred mile triathlon around Great Britain? Because that that doesn't sound like the musings <clears throat> of a man who's uh, sick of riding their bike to me. Yeah. Um, well, quite a few things happened in between that really so i did the round the world cycle got back tried to get work for six months just didn't even get an email reply saying you haven't got the job type thing um so that's when i was like well i just need to get out of my mum's flat you know i was living on the sofa bed in a basement apartment with no windows in cheltenham um and was thought well you know if i think of another record maybe i'll get funding again it'll just get me out of the house you know uh, at least i'll be able to buy food for the you know if i choose something that's going to take three four months long at least the sponsorship will get put food on my table during you know while i'm doing it um and that's when i thought of swimming lands into john O'Groats. so that's so that happened in 2013 um so that took four and a half months so a little bit longer than i 
side that I told the support crew. <laughs> you know, I put an advert. I remember putting an advert out in the, in the magazine, and um, it was uh, all expenses paid, summer sail up the British Isles, supporting a swimmer. <laughs> Landed You're up. a con artist, yeah, Sean. You're a con artist. That... <laughs> absolutely. Missold them there because I was still swimming in blooming November. Um, it's not what they signed up for, but uh, they stayed, you know, so I owe them everything, really. Um, but when I finished that, that's, you know, my life changed overnight on, on that swim. I woke up the next day with sponsors emailing me wanting to, you know, fund the next thing and book deals and, and TV people going, you look a bit weird and interesting, you know, what do you want to do next? We'll film it type thing. Um, and that's when I did, then I did the run. So to fit to finish the triathlon of Britain, so I'd done the cycle, done the swim. So I thought, right, well, might as well run it now just to tick that box. So then I ran from John O'Groats back to Land's End, um, and that was that was fun. I I took two attempts on that one really. I I got injured on the first attempt, um, which seems to be my trademark lately. Um, you uh, is a warring. <laughs> didn't you get injured running whilst taking a selfie? Well, you know what I'm uh, saying. I, is that I, is that I, how that happened? I do actually. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> this is funny. Have I'll, you got the selfie? I've got, no, I've got the newspaper article that the Sun printed. <laughs> I bet they uh, tore you a new one, as the Sun does best. <laughs> Thought I'd frame this to my kids. Be like, oh look, selfie harm. Selfie it's... harm. Oh no. <laughs> quite, ins- <laughs> quite insensitive to people. But anyway, it's um, yeah. So I was doing a video selfie, so they took the screen grabs of the video. I was basically running along and didn't see a rock that was a tiny little rock but it just did enough to um to injure my um my knee so yeah i don't know i mean i probably had i not fallen there probably would have twisted my ankle anyway i, I wasn't run fit I, that's the first time i'd really taken up running when i was i was what how old was i then 34 this is pretty much the first time i started running um, other than you know, I did cross country at school and that sort of thing, but uh, yeah, so I wasn't really run fit. So that injury came on because I wasn't run fit really. But yeah, this the selfie was this was the start of it. Um, so yeah, so that was um, that's happened in twenty fifteen, and then the the triathlon around Britain was twenty sixteen, um, which again, you know. Once I'd done the swim, it was actually before the well, it was actually when I did the, the, the round the world bike ride. Is I came up with this, this philosophy, this idea of trying to get the three F's of endurance, which is the world's first, furthest, and fastest. And um, you know, thanks for your compliment on me, you know, being able to tell stories and doing things like that. Yes, I do enjoy doing the, those type of of adventures, like climbing Kilimanjaro in a penguin suit or running a, na- a marathon in every national park in the UK, but. I sort of know I can do those where I, for the terrier to, to be scratched, I need to do something really difficult as well. So I do have to do the athletic ones, you know, so like cycling around the world, the fastest first person to swim the length of Britain, you know, first person to do the length of Britain triathlon. Um, so yeah, the, the three F's first, furthest and fastest was something I was, you know, at the back of my mind thinking, right, can I get a record in all three of those categories? So um, the swim was the first, um, and then the triathlon around Britain was going to be the furthest, the longest triathlon um, ever ever completed. So that sort of took me up to 20, 
that was at 2016, I guess. So how much of what you do is driven by ego? How much is driven by exploration? How much is driven by intrinsic fulfillment? What at the core of the things that you do drives you forwards? My answers changed on this over the years. You know, a lot of it was sort of like, oh, I'd like to help others and, you know, inspire other people, which is true. You know, that that is, it's one of the carrots that I dangle in front of myself, uh, you know, raising money for charity. Ego is an interesting one. I mean, mammals all need an ego thing and I'd be lying if I don't enjoy telling a good pub story sometimes to a few people but not often I, I often st steer away from being the center of attention uh in groups of people um I'm not an alpha so I I will sort of I'm the guy who hides in the corner and just drinks whiskey by myself drinks, drinks Guinness <laughs> I've heard. basically yeah exactly so um however you know I I do and I I sort of met, I have this this vision in my head of you know my kids growing up and you know coming to me one day and going wow dad no way you were the first person to swim the length of britain so there's that ego that i really enjoy i enjoy the, doing the stuff that i know my kids are going to be like wow dad that's cool um although i've been told no kids think their parents are cool so i'm wasting my time anyway but um the um i think it's weird so the it's definitely the intrinsic fulfillment i definitely feel like that is an important reason why I do it. But once I've done something, I sort of forget about it. I, you know, I write the book and then it's done. You know, I, re I very rarely go back to other stuff. So it's not like I'm feeling fulfilled now about the time I swam the length of Britain. So yes, I needed that goal to get to John O'Groats and to get to the finish line. And for me, it, I needed to, you know, tick that box and complete that for the terrier to have feel feel happy um but I, I just enjoy like who i am when i do these big things i enjoy the training i enjoy the logistics and the planning and the trying to get sponsorship you know so if, if i got something that takes two years to to sort of put together like what i'm doing trying to do now in my next uh, record is you know i'm just more fulfilled in the whole process than when I'm not doing it. And that in, a, that in itself is enough for me to repeat it, if you know what I mean. So, Do you think it's an addiction? A oh, absolutely. Addiction? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And everything's addictive about it. You know, completing it's addictive. Writing the book is addictive. And I love having the books on my shelf and just look. All, all my books are in my downstairs toilet. So when I go for a pee, they're just there. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, I never read them back and no one else reads them in my family, but I just like the fact they're there. That's addictive, you know, and I, I'm addicted to, to, to thinking up of thinking up the next uh, record or whatever it is or idea, whether it's one of the big ones or one of the smaller ones. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's all I'm, I'm a better person. It sounds cheesy while I'm attempting these sort of things than I am when if I'm not if I don't have them on my cards type thing. Have you thought about what happens when you get to a point in your life where you can't push it? <laughs> la, 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 la. What? Sorry, what was that question? I, I didn't hear you there. <laughs> what question? Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't ask question? you a question. Oh, exactly. That's the voice yeah, inside your head, yeah, Sean. Well, I know. That's the voice inside your head when you're <laughs> 18 days deep into something. <laughs> no, I mean, at the moment, just blissful ignorance. Um, and I have those conversations with, with Caroline, my lovely, long-suffering wife. Um, 
No, it's a worry. As any, because uh, I sort of am in the world of sport rather than the world of adventure. Um, you know, I'm a 42 year old sportsman. There's not, not many of us sort of competing and still trying to, you know, do things at a level at which you can still make a living from it, i.e., get sponsorships, sell books, do talks, and all, all that stuff that puts food on my kids' plates, right? So I consider myself very lucky. Um, what's you know what what's after i don't know i don't think i have to think about it for a while i think i've got another five years at least before i then will probably have to hang up the the high-end competitive ultra endurance stuff but maybe not you know if i if i i've always thought i'd get into running a bit later in life so i could probably push the running for another maybe you know seven or eight years potentially if i'm good i don't know if i'm any good though so um Either that or just become the most badass PE teacher ever. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. My, <laughs> oh, I stubbed my toe. You don't know pain, boy. <laughs> the sad thing is, I can imagine you tell your PE classes what you've been up to and they'd be sitting in the change room afterwards thinking, God, he talks a load of shit. I know, he? exactly. Yeah, well, he said crap. he said he swam, swam end to end of the UK. What? A, yeah. Honestly, these PE teachers these days, I what know. are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, so. So um, we'll talk about uh, what's next. We'll talk about what's next very soon but i think it's important to unpack a little bit of what didn't go so well along the way because we've we've talked about selfie harm we've talked about a few of the the hiccups you've had along the way but in the space that you operate within the the three f's there's always going to be naysayers there's going to be people that want you to fail there's going to be people that say things aren't possible and they will relish when things don't go to plan and it's very easy as a human being to catastrophize and think that you failed and that everything you've done has been a waste and futile when in reality as i'm sure you'll agree as i've heard you say before the lessons in failure are, are significantly more valuable than arguably success in the endeavors because it gives you the the toolbox for next time and that's compounding over time which makes you the person that you are today so what have been the biggest setbacks along the way the most unpredictable ones the ones that have really sent you into a bit of a spiral because you've already mentioned how well you manage your mental health by knowing what's good for you and, and really focusing on those things. But when things do go wrong, which they will, how have you managed them? And what are the things that have really knocked you back the most? Um, so, the, I mean, the, in a, there's a scale of things going wrong. You know, there's things that will go wrong daily and you, but you can get over them so that you, you've got to do certain things to get over them. So when you're trying to break a world record and you're cycling across Russia and there's headwinds and, wolves and things and you know that's there's bits there going wrong because you're behind schedule and it's cold and you can't camp out because of the wolves you know so you just got to think quite practically and i'm quite there's a side of me that's quite practical where you know i think of the the six pistons of endurance planning food water sleep muscle management and motivation you know what can i do in those six things that i can control um which will help me get through this and, and, and break a record type thing, especially when there's a time element, you know, that seems to be the, the thing that's the hardest to overcome because, you know, when I did my world's longest triathlon or swam the length of Britain, you know, the only time imposed element to it was self-imposed. So I, I, you know, I, I could have done the swim over three years, you know, and come home and taken a break and gone back out the next summer when the weather was good. But for me that I needed to do it in a one uh, and the same with the world's longest triathlon. I could have done that over six or eight months, really, and just sort of done it slowly and had some fun. 
but for me i wanted it to be a physically difficult journey as well um because i wanted to train hard and that got the terrier excited so um but if there was a, a bad day on either of those two for example i could take the day off and you know if, if there was bad weather and it wouldn't change through many things but when you're going for a speed record like the the cycling across europe record you know that's when you have bad road quality or you get punctures um or there's just big trucks and you've chosen a dodgy road and you've 20 miles short on the, on each day for days on end and you can see the record slipping away you know that's difficult to deal with but how i cope with it is just trying to focus on the things i can manage you know yes there's big trucks on the road are there big trucks on the road at two in the morning maybe not so maybe i should shift my cycling time to night time um but then at two in the morning there's lots of people who've had too much vodka so you know th there's all those sort of questions i was asking myself so those are the, the things that you sort of can not not that you can control them but you can do certain things that hopefully will will start making you win because basically i'm trying to win right and 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 uh the things that really hit me back is when i when stuff happens out of my control you know like an injury 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 is the big one and in any sports person will tell you that you know when you get injured and it's taken away from you whatever you're trying to get it's very hard to overcome that really uh i mean i've got quite short memory so i'm quite good at bouncing back i sort of forget the bad stuff quite quickly and i don't know if that's on purpose or just the way i'm my my brain is wired but i do forget the bad stuff pretty quickly and and can and can really ship that's when the monkey just takes over and be like right that didn't work right let's try something else boom okay now i'm now i'm down that path um and that works for me I don't know if it's the best strategy even long term but it seems to work for now you've been hit off your bike several times over the years haven't you and it's it's got in the way of the plan i think it's fair to say as 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 being hit by a car when you're on your bike tends tends to do to be quite honest and there was one that got in the way of your your trip around the world quite severely didn't it and it was actually probably the worst it's fair to say the worst hospitalization injury you've had as a result of living the life that you have was was the round well, the world cycle I, you hit by yeah and and the only one really I've, I've, that's the in fact that's the only time i've been hit 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 by a car on the bike um yeah so that was yeah that was bad but like, i actually don't remember anything so that was quite useful uh the, you know, the brain has a way of shutting off the bad stuff so i i went to bed the night before and woke up the next day in hospital so i'd woken up that morning i cycled for a couple of hours i got run over from behind went straight up onto the windscreen you know or apparently um and then they i sort of have some memories now but i'm not sure if they're actual memories or just dreams i've had since or just fabricated stuff in my head um, but i sort of remember leaving the motel I was staying in the night before, sort of. I sort of remember the road, but not really. I, I went back. So to carry on the, with the bike ride after I recovered, I went back to the place where I got run over and I have zero memory of it. I just, yeah, nothing, absolutely nothing. So, um, which is probably quite good. You know, the fact that I have no trauma there um, probably meant I carried on cycling because maybe I wouldn't have had it been this big, like, pain and... And noises and crashing and head hitting the windscreen and all that maybe I, that would have been too much for me to handle so um yeah when you came around from that and the reality had checked in of such a big event 
commitment from sponsors, commitment from yourself in terms of time, time away, all of this that had gone into it. How did you manage the huge spike in emotion in terms of confronting that? Because when things go wrong in people's lives day to day, it's very difficult to manage that spike in emotion. I think zone two, endurance, that side of my training has really helped me day to day better manage that through putting me in a calmer, more deliberative state of mind. And you've spent weeks, months in that state of mind. So I can imagine you're very good at managing those spikes on a day-to-day basis. But when faced with that situation, just talk us through the feelings, the, the things you were tackling in your head when you came around the hospital thinking, oh, here we are. Well, a couple of things happened. The first one was uh, Guinness had a rule that you had to do it on the same bike. You could change components and things like that, but you had to do it on the same bike. So the the first thing I remember saying is, how's the bike? And they said, oh, it's a write-off. So, the, it, yeah, I sort of had this first thing of like, oh, but I'm sh- it's a steel frame. I'm sure someone can fix it. I'll just get it fixed and I'll carry on. So there was a bit of denial at the beginning on how serious I was injured. And I, I truly believed, like, five days I'll be back on the bike. I even said that because, you know, with the record, anything more than that, you know, probably you're out of the record anyway. But I thought, oh, I'll... I feel fine, you know, I'll wear a neck brace, five days I'll be fine. Um, I then realized that wasn't going to be five days. So then there was another rule that Guinness had in the rule book, which was if you if you reach an impassable barrier, you're allowed to stop the clock. They've got rid of this rule now, and I'm glad they have got rid of it because it's a rubbish rule. And you could stop for two weeks. So really, you could have two-week rest breaks in between this staged bike ride around the world it was stupid um but they've got rid of that now and it's continuous clock so i emailed them and said does an accident fall under the i've reached an impassable barrier and can i stop the clock and they actually replied back and they said uh we've looked at it and yes you can so you've got two weeks off so i was like okay well that buys me two weeks within the rules um and then the next thing was right let me try and get the bike fixed so we sent the bike off um to a bike shop to have a look it was the rear stays basically the the rear triangle was was bust could they weld on a new triangle there and they came back and they said no it's just it's too long gone there's no way we can do it accurately so the wheel runs true and all that so then i emailed guinness again and said right well i've been in this accident you know i'll keep all the components so i'll keep you know except the rear wheel but i'll keep the front wheel and and everything else that the roll off hub was still intact, so I could reuse that. Um, can I just get a new frame and you know carry on on the bike ride after this two week thing? And they said, okay, yes, you can do that as well. Um, so so yeah, so I was very much in this sort of scenario of right, I can carry on now, definitely. So the two weeks came and went, and I definitely wasn't ready to get on the bike. And I was sort of doing the maths, and it basically every day my average was going to get, was going up something like five or 10 miles a day. I'd have to do on average more to get the record. So I was averaging about 180 or 190, somewhere there up to that point miles a day. And then, you know, for every day it was like, all of a sudden I'd have to do 195 and then 200 and then 205. And then eventually it got to a point where my average was going to need to be like 210 or 215 miles a day for the rest of the ride. And I just knew that that was just impossible. So then that that was the realization of like, right, well, I can't do this now. 
like I probably can't get this record. So I thought, right, well, I'm just going to go home. And that was my chance. I had my chance and that was it. Then while I was packing up my stuff and going through all my kit, I saw that I had this a little Olympic flame that some kids uh, made me to take around the world because it was 2012 in London. They said, oh, Sean, can you take an Olympic a replica Olympic flame around the world? A little batteries with, you know, fake lights to butt, to glow and that sort of thing. It was really cute. And uh, I thought, you know, these five-year-olds using 3D printers and stuff. It was amazing. I was like, of course I'm going to take your little flame around the world. So I, I suddenly thought, wow, man, these kids are going to be gutted. So what if that's just my new goal? You know, maybe my, my new goal is, is I can't get the record now. That's pretty clear. But maybe my new goal is to get around the world in time for the Olympics and take these kids their flame back, you know. Um, and then this wonderful family I stayed with, Martin and Missy Carey, uh, who looked after me and I stayed with them in their home. You know, really, I couldn't have done it without them. They bought me a new bike as well. You know, they, they phoned Thorn in Somerset. And that was the bike I used and said, remember, Sean, send us a bike. We'll pay for it. So they were just incredible in, in basically getting me a new bike. And um, yeah, so that sort of became my new goal. You know, so, you know, to answer your question, how do I get over it? I, I, I sort of just gave myself a new thing to chase which was trying to get back to London in time for the Olympics. So I had nearly a month off with the, with the injury, carried on, still with a neck brace, you know, because I had a bit of whiplash. I have a compression fracture in my spine, which is sort of fine now. Um, but it'll, I think they say my two of my vertebrae might fuse when I'm older. Um, but I think I only had to do 135 or 140 miles a day from then on just to get back to London in time for the Olympics. So... That sort of became my new, my new, my new goal and my new challenge, and that allowed me to to scratch the terrier in me. Otherwise, I think I would have just got really frustrated had I carried on in a, in holiday mode, as it were, which I don't think I could have done. I think the core of that as well is is looking at the situation you are presented with and being realistic about what you can do with it. Again, that's a fancy way of saying the the social media contrived statement that we've all heard a thousand times, which is control the controllables, but you were faced with overwhelming variables and managed to reframe them into the same mechanism that you were following in the first place, just in a different, a different sort of manifestation of that. So I think that's the, that's the main lesson there is essentially take the situation for what it is and try and solve the problem in front of you rather than the problem that you had planned for in the first place because the the circumstances have changed. And I think that's that's a mistake I've made definitely in my younger years of setting a plan based around the circumstances I expected and then holding myself to those circumstances even when they've changed, which puts you in the wrong environment to solve the problem and just allows those emotions and, and your management of the situation to spiral. So lots of things that people can take away there from from that. But Yeah, I had I also had this overriding sort of thought and notion that no one gets to ride around the world twice. So the option of sort of Mark giving Bermont's up. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, Mark's ruined that. And actually, <laughs> Nick Sanders, who had the record in the 80s, he also did it twice. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I sort of, I knew there's no way I could go and get the funding again and, and all that sort of thing. So this was sort of my shot at doing it. You know, there's other stuff where I've got injured and I've just bailed because that was the, the right thing to do. You know, you've, you've not failed. You've just learned the wrong way to do it. So you go home and... <laughs> go back to the drawing board and start again. Um, 
so yeah but with around the world you know being in america and far from home for me it was like right i carry on and you know have this new goal or i go back to one bedroom flat with my mum in cheltenham you know so actually it was almost an easy easy decision really so the coping mechanisms along the way is the question that people are always so keen to hear oh, what were you thinking about how did you manage what were you doing that that i can't perceive to be able to do differently pedro is <laughs> something that sticks out to me he's on my wall as well <laughs> and there's, there's pedro <laughs> oh you've got him i didn't know he had him fantastic i, I know i <laughs> managed is, to get him back so... i managed to get him back on a flight from russia even though it makes a mockery of having to put him and take your shoes off and i i had a dead dog skull in my in my baggage <laughs> so for context pedro was a dog skull you found on the side of the road that you yeah. then essentially felt an emotional attachment to whether Absolutely. due to fatigue or otherwise yeah that then came with you and the irony yeah. i find most hilarious is that a skull probably weighs what half a 200, kilo 280 knocking. 280 I, I, I weighed it, it was 280 grams and i didn't take a tent across europe to save 300 grams so it was basically i just replaced having a tent which is a very useful and important thing to have with a dead dog skull which is very unimportant and unuseful although so that, I, that, that i will take that back a little bit because we we solved many many world problems together me and pedro <laughs> But that that's a great way of looking at this because when people often ask about coping mechanisms, especially in an athletic sense, triathlon, ultras, people are very, very anal about this sort of thing and it's very fiercely practical and often fails to account for the human behind the practicality. And and there's two things that I think really bring this to life from your perspective, from what I've heard, which is the example you've just given. You chose something that gave you a bit more intrinsic push forwards that superseded the practicality of the decision, but the morale was more important than the actual weight considerations at that point, because you are the human powering this forwards. And for the human body to be able to cope, the mind needs to be able to keep up and move at the same pace. So what were the strategies that, that the second one we'll come back to, but what were the strategies that you, you implement when you're taking on these things to be able to cope with the challenges, to be able to cope with the loneliness, to be able to cope with the dread and constant calculation of records and being in this place at that time and everything that goes with these things? Um, well, there's, there's quite a few little things. I already touched on the six pistons of endurance, so planning, food, water, sleep, muscle management, and motivation. So, you know, I'm constantly looking at all of those, and especially when you're self-supported. They're never going right. You know, you've slept too much or too little and not hydrated enough your food's rubbish because you're living out of service stations you're sleeping in drain pipes where wolves hang out and you know so, so none of them are really good but within that you know there's the if you looked at all of them let's say the the, the motivation one also has a couple of extra sort of branches to it which will be you know why are you doing it and what's what's gonna not make you stop what's gonna keep you going and and that could be things like you know raising money for charity wanting to write a book about it at the end. So there's a bit of the ego thing there, you know, trying to pretend, you know, one day my kids are going to think I'm cool. There's that. Um, so I dangle those carrots in front of me in, in the motivation pie chart uh, part of that as well. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of practical side there. Um, and then, but if I find, if that's all the terrier, and if the terrier is just too practical, the monkey needs to sort of, knock on his shoulder and go like dude this is fun man like <laughs> you chose to do this no one's making you do this um 
Oh, look, there's a dead dog on the side of the road. He's been there for a long time. He must be lonely. Let's show him what Europe looks like. Um, and that's, you know, that's the other side of me, which is equally important to, to feed that side of me that doesn't take it too seriously, which is weird because it depends on, you know, people come and meet me on, on some of the records, not the Europe record. A few people came and found me on the Europe record, but the stuff I've done in Britain, you know, someday <laughs> there's probably two to two, two bands of people. Some people go like, well, he was quite serious about what he was doing. <laughs> and then, you know, the next person who met me half an hour later was like, man, he's just really not taking this seriously at all. So, so it the, the, probably the, depends the second what part I, I wanted to focus yeah. on was on exactly that because you were running length of Britain and you thought, oh, I've got to pop into Wales, don't I? Yeah. And popping oh, into yeah. Wales turned into uh, oh, turned into quite the quite the visit, didn't it? The the best lock in I've ever had in a pub in my life, <laughs> and it had nothing to do with me really. Um, so there's if you're in Wales, uh, Matt Pritchard, who was in Dirty Sanchez fame. Um, and is an absolute weapon of an ultra-endurance athlete himself as well, it's worth mentioning. He's done Decker Ironmans. He used to have the record for the most number of half Ironmans done in a row. I joined him for one of them. Um, And, um, yeah, and obviously, if you've watched him on Dirty Sanchez, he has a persona of just being a bit crazy. And he sort of is crazy. Uh, What does he say? And he he self-describes himself as burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. And, And he definitely is kind of just all in. But the the thing he and the thing he struggles with is whenever he meets people, they expect the crazy Matt who just parties and drinks the whole time. When actually he's you know he's vegan now and and has written some amazing cookbooks and as does all these Ironmans. Um, so anyway, we walked. So it, I, that was the idea. I was going to divert into Wales because I had to, um, and we, he was going to meet me and we we're going to have a pint. Um, uh, so we I literally went over the bridge. We walked into this pub and obviously the landlord was like wow, it's Matt Pritchard, this is going to be epic. <laughs> so we, we sort of, and we got there late. It was sort of about 10 o'clock or 10.30, thinking, oh, we'll, we'll get a pint in, maybe two pints. And, um, you know, we said, oh, mate, do you mind if we just sleep in the garden? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Anyway, got to 11 o'clock and, you know, he's, everyone else is sort of starting to leave the pub. He's like, oh, you guys, no, don't worry, you, you can stay, that's cool. No, don't worry. Okay, oh, thanks, mate. So we stayed and it got to 12 o'clock, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, and we're just like necking beers like there's no no going backwards. And I, you know, in my head, it's like, oh, brilliant. This is calories. This is great. 200 calories a pint. Bring it, you know. And um, eventually at 3.30, the landlord says, oh, guys, I'm really sorry. But, you know, my wife's at home. We've got a six-month-old baby or whatever, you know. And we're like, oh, don't worry, mate. It's blooming three in the morning. Don't, you know, we'll just crash. He's oh, no, no. I have to go, but you guys can stay. We're like, what? He's like, here's a piece of paper. Just write down whatever you drink and sort me out in the morning. <laughs> You're joking. And it, yeah, I think it was like 5.30. The sun was coming up. We eventually said, right, because I slept a marathon the next day and he was going to run it with me. And, um, and oh yeah, oh, halfway through that, my mate Jez came on his bicycle from London. He caught the train to Bristol uh, and then cycled in. So then Jez was in the mix. Uh so 5.30, we eventually like, right, we better get some sleep. 8.30 in the morning, all I hear is, Conway, let's go, Boyle. And he put a double Southern Comfort in front of me. So I necked that. And then we we started running this marathon. Then we're running back over the bridge. Oh, this it's like crazy 48 hours or 24 hours, whatever it was. Uh, this French guy jumps out in front of me and goes, Sean, I found you. And we're like, what? 
He's like, I've hitchhiked all the way from France. It's taken me five days to find you. And I went to the wrong bridge. And then he jumped in front of the road and got and basically stopped an elderly couple who then he said, take me to the other bridge. Because he basically needed to get to the seven bridge. But there's two, of course. And uh, so this elderly couple took this random French guy. And then he found me on the bridge. And then he ran with me for two days as well. With like just a rubbish school bag as a backpack. Sleeping in bushes as well. Um, anyway, yeah, we ran all, all, so Jez was on his bicycle, Matt with his dog, Lemmy, me, uh, both of us the worst for wear, and this French guy all ran a, a marathon into Bristol that day. Um, so yeah, it was <laughs> very memorable 24 hours. And, um, yeah, Matt, Matt, he's, he's, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Just don't, don't go to pub with him. That seems to be the clear, the clear lesson taken from that is, uh, do not go to the pub. With, uh, with Matt, especially if you need to run the next day. But there'll be yeah. people listening to that that are losing their minds thinking about the performance compromise that comes with such an endeavour and a, a arguably series of poor decisions or, or spending time with somebody that will allow you to make poor decisions. <laughs> and obviously it's not the right thing to be doing from a hydration, nutrition, recovery, sleep quality point of view at all. No. But the morale boost and the story that goes with it and the humanity that brings that to life contributes to your ability to keep plodding your way up north towards John O'Groats, doesn't yeah. it? And I think that's what's often lost in translation with these endeavors is is the fun, is the is the journey, is the adventure. And I know that you are often thrown in as an adventurer when you are an adventure athlete, you're an endurance athlete in your own right. But adventure is is where the value really lies in my mind. And I think stories like that one and and Pedro, and I know you've had police escorts because you felt like there were drug runners that were potentially going to steal your bike or worse in certain parts of the world. And there's all these things that have gone on. But those are the memories that will stick with you for taking the first step towards something adverse, challenging, scary, intimidating, first mover effect, whatever it might be. And you're about to take on something that's rather large. Yeah, and it's very there's soon. A, it's in there's a fourth category. It's a month yesterday, isn't it? It's, it's a month yeah, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it turns out there's a fourth category, which I can't believe it took me ten years to work out. But basically, there was the three F's of endurance. So in the world of sport, I was trying to get those three F's: the world's first, the furthest, and the fastest. And I got all of those when I got the Europe record, and that was in 2018. Um, and then sort of a my new life started. I got married. I had couple of kids and then COVID happened and I genuinely was and and Caroline will tell sort of back me up I was getting quite frustrated and I just I didn't know what I was doing yes I was enjoying being a new dad and you know I was 40 when I bought my first house and that was terrifying because I never dreamt of even earning enough money to buy a house you know so 40 that happened um so life was good you know I got two amazing boys um, but there was just something that I needed to, to scratch. And I was very nervous about going back and dotting the I's and crossing the T's, you know, because I'd done the, these three big things and I didn't want to feel like I was just now doing stuff for the sake of it. I really wanted to find stuff that was going to challenge me and engage the terrier again. And then I found out that there's a fourth category, which is the most of something. And I was like, ah, oh. and then that, doesn't doesn't begin with an F. It doesn't though, begin with an F. Oh, Exciting, I can't it? tell you how annoyed I am by it. Well, someone did say the most 
frequent. I think someone tried to throw that one in there, but it kind of works, yeah, kind of doesn't. Kind of but works, if you if you wanted to, yeah, exactly. It's stretching the the thing there. But um, I then sort of thought back to so the the most record I was going to go for, but I didn't realize it was going to be a category. Was back after I'd done the round the the Europe cycle in 2018. I, I James Lawrence had got the record for the most number of Ironmans in a row at that point he had done 50 ironmans and 50 uh days and 50 states in america uh okay sorry i have to i can't say ironmans i keep saying ironmans sorry ironman it's not an ironman it's a full distance triathlon um because an ironman's an actual sanctioned event but anyway um <laughs> ironman is a brand it is i, a I don't brand. want i don't yeah. want anyone listening to uh yeah. let so sorry that organization sorry get get so, away so, with what they're trying to do which yeah. is pretend that they own the distance which they do <laughs> yeah. not yeah uh, i ironman is a brand that yeah. puts on full distance triathlon events and it's yeah. the most popular brand in the world however they are not the only brand that you can do full distance triathlon exactly. events with you can, it's you important can. to mention yeah so but i'm, I'm going to say iron woman how about that it's even better and so uh and yes, I was going, going to, he'd done 50 in 50 days and 50 states. Incredible. And I lived in the Lake District and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do 100. So I had this idea back in 2018. I, I even looked at a, a route, a course, so swimming in the lake, super easy, cycling down towards Barrow and Furnace where it's a bit flatter and then back to Coniston and then two laps of the lake as a marathon. So I'd, I'd really done all that prep. Um, and then as always with any sport, I, I have quite a few ideas. And I pitched them to sponsors and I pitched this one and I pitched a few others. And um, one of the other ones, which hasn't happened because of COVID and it's going to happen hopefully in 2025, 2026. Um, that was the ones, a couple of my sponsors. Oh yeah, let's, let's, this one sounds cool. Let's do that one. But then COVID happened and then it couldn't, it didn't happen. And then it didn't happen and it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, it was going to be like, oh, in six months we'll do it. And, oh no, in another six months. So then I decided at the beginning of last year, to revisit this most record, which is the iron, the, the full distance triathlon, um, knowing that James Lawrence had done the 101. So in my head, I was like, oh, well, I've got to do 102 now. I, I always wanted to do it to see if I could do 100 anyway. Um, so, yeah, so that was January, February last year. And stupidly, really, I and this is another th problem I have is, the, the monkey and the terrier also want stuff done quickly. Um, so I tried to do it last year in June and really it just wasn't enough time to get enough funding to get a crew who had experience, um, time of year, all that sort of thing. I was kind of rushing it, but I, 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 I believed I could do it. I physically believed I could do it and I probably could have done it had I not come off the bike. Uh, I would have just been a bit miserable doing it. And, and, and also in hindsight, it's just not the way I wanted it to, to play out. Like, have you, do you, do you draw or paint at all? Have you ever done a drawing or I a wish. painting? I wish yeah. I could. I mean, if anyone's done a painting, you know, how many times will you do it? And you'll be like, you'll get like 20% in and you'll be like, ah, this is crap. I'm going to tear it up and I'm going to start again. I sort of, because you know, it's not working out how you imagined it and the creative side of me imagined it and so when i attempted it in june it, you know it wasn't working out i got came off the bike anyway and it was a real feeble crash 
trying to get uh, some food out my back pocket, hit a pothole, overcorrected and steered into a bush. Um, but my left leg stayed clipped in and it just caused a bit of inflammation on the tendon that runs on the top of my foot, the one that keeps your foot up. Um, so it keeps your toes up if you want to pull your toes up type thing. And uh, and that just got worse. So that was day five, day six. By day seven, it was just, I couldn't walk basically. Um, but it sort of wasn't working out the way I'd pictured it. And that was my own fault because I was trying to rush it and I didn't you know, have everything in place that I should have had in place. So then I've now, I've recovered and then the reattempt is now going to be in April this year. Um, uh, so yeah, going for 102 full distance triathlons starting in April, which I feel pretty good. I've, I was ill in January, so I'm a little, probably 10% down on where I wanted to be from a sort of hitting the markers on, on pace and heart rate and power and speed and all that sort of thing. Um, but it's still enough. It's still enough. I feel good. And I, and my crew is amazing. This a charity's come on board and we're trying to raise money here in North Wales specifically to try and create a fully sustainable youth triathlon team. So there's a couple of like run clubs and swim clubs and cycle clubs have teamed together. But what often happens is each of those clubs want their athlete to be a really good swimmer and then a really good cyclist and a really good runner. But with triathlon, you're sort of a little bit worse at all three, but you're good overall. So they'll end up getting burnt out. So we're, you know, together with the with the foundation, um, we're trying to really get a, a real positive, really good tri- youth triathlon team here in Wales. Uh, so yeah, that's super exciting. So they, I've got crew, uh, good crew now, a really amazing crew to to help me on this one. So yeah, touch wood. I'm not going to fall off the bike again. So no taking packets of crisps up my back pocket on an slow uphill even though it's slow <laughs> well no fantastic endeavor to be taking on do you want to just quickly give us an overview of the practicality logistics where you're doing it how you've set it up um same route every day any variety because it's a monotonous long thing to execute but you also want to reduce the amount of friction that goes into it so just talk us through the practicalities yeah so i'm, I'm basically because james lawrence has owned this space you, you sort of got to do whatever he did in the past if you want to take on his record really you want to do it his way um i didn't do that the first time i wanted to do an open water swim but that practically landed up being a poor decision just from a logistics point of view trying to get to the lake and back from the lake start the bike ride i was losing nearly 45 minutes just doing that um so now i'm doing the swim in in a swimming pool here in mold north wales uh then jumping straight on the bike heading down towards cheshire doing some doing a course down there and then finishing near Chester on the, the, the river D or the, or the train track back into Chester from D side Queens Ferry. Um, so yeah, same course every day, which limits sort of makes it easier for people to come and join me, which I'm welcoming. Um, and it's, it's the only course that's achievable where I live really. Uh, yeah, from no, a, I, from I actually the, know the area uh, really well because my parents live in uh, the North Wirral. Yeah, and uh, whenever whenever I've been with them, I've done long bike rides into into Chester, come over into Queensbury, out towards yeah. Colwyn Bay on the bike and back, and yeah, yeah. that's the only I, route you know, I, I was thinking that would allow flatness. <laughs> yeah, you know, I needed I needed flat, but I also needed quiet back roads because you know if when I, I was looking at James, when people you know there's days where two hundred cyclists joined James, you know, and I needed roads that could accommodate cyclists safely. Um, 
so yeah so that's i've sort of done that and then the, the, a pool swim because he, he did a pool swim uh and it's the logistically the the best the most sensible way to do that and then the run's pretty flat along the d there so and that's it's traffic free run as well which is important so anyone can join me on that um so that's happening yeah for for, for one month yesterday so uh <laughs> yeah I feel good. I feel good. I don't know how much of it's playing up to camera or it was just cleverly edited by his team, but I have seen James put out a reel where he almost called you out a little bit for having taken it on the first time based on conversations you had or his perception on things. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much back and forth there was between the two of you, but how, I don't know if you saw it, how, how no, did that, so that I, na I, narrative I, make you feel? I didn't see it. Um, I people Loads of people tagged me in, so I gather he said something untoward about what i did um which which surprised me because he's been amazing on like we've been messaging back and forth privately and he's been like telling me how to do it <laughs> he's been awesome you know he's, that, that, that's it, what makes me wonder if if he's yeah. had an editor or somebody say no oh, no say i think he said it get no. a lot of clicks yeah no i th i think yeah I, I don't think what he said was that bad i think i think he was just probably stating it, it wasn't facts. it was just, it was yeah. essentially I, I think it was essentially leaning into the fact that because you haven't done a ironman distance event that can be seen and tracked online and you can check a, a finish list because you haven't yeah. done one before no. you have no right to be attempting 102 but your your cv proves that without much experience in in okay. swimming in open water you swam from the bottom end to the north end so yeah was, yeah i mean so yeah, I, I, I saw it and yeah <laughs> There's probably a couple of things that happen there. It's a good story for him, for me to fail. Um, and then, you know, the question, you know, maybe there was a question that led him into saying, you know, because I know he talks about you can't go from zero to 100. So me failing is probably really backs up his philosophy, which is true. You can't. But he, he probably doesn't know what I've done in the past. Um, and, you know, the fact that I'm a, a complete novice. You know, he, I think he thinks I'm a complete novice, which is fine. You know, I've. I don't expect him to go on my website and trawl through what I've done in, in the past. Like, like no one, not even my parents do that, you know? So it's like, um, which is fine. You know, that's, I, 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 that's just the world of sport. And it's a good story for him, for, for me not to, to, to have made it. But, um, but he's been super supportive. Like I did some testing the other day, yesterday, in fact, on, and I put a thing on, on Instagram. He messaged me yesterday, like, Dude, why are you doing a VO2 max? It was a waste of time, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> and I was like, dude, actually, it wasn't a VO2 max. And I sort of agree with you that it's a waste of time doing a VO2 uh, for what we're doing. But uh, yeah, he's been super supportive, actually. He's been amazing. Yeah, he's sort of, a, he's one of my heroes. And actually, I, I find it quite difficult that the world going to make it a me versus him thing. And I didn't appreciate that the first time around. I really, you know, he has a really strong supporter of people who will see me as the enemy. Um, and I, I sort of wasn't prepared for that because everything else I've done, it hasn't been a me versus them. We've sort of been, you know, when I took Jonas Deichmann's across Europe record, you know, he helped me and it was sort of, I embraced his, his record and we did it, you know, he helped me. And then he, he went on and broke my world's longest triathlon record last year. So I helped him. So, you know, there was always that camaraderie, um, even within the, the, the comments and everything, whereas... Yeah, this one it seemed that yeah, there was it did, a lot it did of, seem a bit more it seemed yeah. a bit more point scoring and as if yeah. people online had earned the right to be the gatekeeper for James's record when in reality James yeah I mean even James isn't the gatekeeper of his own record he can't no, prevent no. other people from giving it a go but 
he exactly. is giving you his support. So therefore, absolutely, yeah. nobody else has the right to put. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else has the right to to sort of protect yeah, it from no, their perspective. It, it, but... it, it, yeah, it was getting quite fierce as well. You know, there was yeah quite a lot of you know even the fact that I was saying Iron Man's because I sort of don't care if they try and sue me, whereas he was really really quite protective of people not saying the word iron man's um well i think he he, he got sued off the back too. of cnn yeah. using it i think yeah. cnn wrote an article about him and then iron man sued him and yeah. i think just the admin that goes with that must make you want to yeah. just keep things calm but yeah exactly so um yeah it was interesting so um you know th- so there was a whole lot of stuff around that um uh and that sort of thing so um yeah there was, there was a lot of like, I can't believe he's using the word Iron Man. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should take it more seriously because maybe being sued by Iron Man isn't fun. So <laughs> I got nothing anyway. Like, well, I hope you don't need to find out, but yeah, exactly. I, 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 am, I am thrilled to be seeing you taking on something and having somebody else take it on gives a new perspective on what it entails, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It adds to the sport. It adds to the human story behind it. It makes... James seem a bit more fallible. It gives more of a data pool for people to explore doing crazy things in the future. And that, in my mind, only contributes to a better sport, a better community. So for anyone online creating fusion, uh, yeah. friction rather, where it doesn't need to be, please stop. You're not helping anyone at all <laughs> other than maybe keeping your thumbs well exercised yeah. behind no, the don't stop. Screen, so Do it. I love it. Do it. It's fuel. Well, fuel. yeah. Well, when fuel, you, yeah, fuel obviously when fire. you start, the more... The more... <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. But it's... um. It's it's very exciting to to know it's it's coming very soon. It's for, yeah. it, very soon, in fact. And yeah. where is the best place for people to find you and support what is about to kick uh, off and keep up to date? Uh, SeanConway dot com, I guess. There'll be a tra- live tracker there and all that sort of thing and social media. So um, fantastic. Yeah, and people are welcome to, to join. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you, the swim is a bit difficult because of lifeguarding, but certainly on the bike and definitely the run. The run's the fun bit. Yeah. I uh, I will endeavour to get down that way as I have easy access to accommodation nearby and <laughs> i'm still i'm still not really ha- having spent my last long bike ride doing laps around snowdonia i am um, i haven't spent too much time on the bike since then but i will uh i will i will endeavor to come join you for for something whether it's a bike and a run or just a run because yeah, yeah i'll leave the bike in the garage for a little bit longer okay. we shall okay. see but thank yeah. you very much for that and all the best for the last month of prep logistics practicalities and stress that goes with it and look forward to seeing you get all the way to 102 Lovely, mate. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. And there we have it. Another episode of The Modern Mind complete. And thank you to those of you that are still here. Massively appreciated. Just a quick reminder to do all of the podcasty stuff. Follow, subscribe, share with a friend. Thank you very much. Please do engage with the show sponsors and make sure to sign up to The Modern Mind emailing list through the show notes down below. Thank you very much. Hope there were some things that you took away from that and I will see you next time.